0: Almighty God, we acknowledge that there's nothing that we have that has not been granted to us directly from You. By whatever means it arrives, it is directly from You. And we praise You and we thank You. Lord, above and beyond all else for our salvation. For the fellowship that we have
1: here in this church. For the riches that we have in Christ for the riches that we have as we dwell in this world. For the privileges, for the benefits, and even the trials, we praise You. For You are King. You are Sovereign. You are our Ruler
0: and Savior. For the body, Lord, we pray for any hurts and pains here this morning. Be they physical, spiritual, mental, emotional. Lord, may You lift up Your people May your healing hand come across the hearts, the minds, the
1: bodies of your people. And specifically this morning, I'd like to pray for our dear sister, Isabel. Lord, that you'll comfort her in having lost her own daughter this week. Comfort the family. Grant her the grace to endure the difficulty. Lord, at the funeral memorial this Wednesday, Lord, may you be glorified through this. May those who will be in attendance who do not know You, Lord, may this be the cause for which You bring them to saving faith. Comfort our dear sister day we pray. And may Your Word impart to us more wisdom, more grace to carry out that which we're called to do because of the
0: salvation that's been granted us in Your Son, Jesus Christ. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, beloved. And if you would, uh, for now,
1: open your Bibles to uh, the 28th chapter of Matthew. Uh, The verses
0: that we're going to look at this morning uh, have been at the forefront of my mind for the last three weeks. Um, If you don't know, um, I just returned from Africa. I, I I left here over three weeks ago. And I traveled there with Dr. Steve Van Horn, who is the president of uh, ITEM Ministries. It's the uh, International Training and Equipping Ministries, uh, specifically focused on the continent of Africa. And for 13 years, um, he has been going from country to country to equip pastors in declaring the truth of the Word of God. Um, I wanted to... Investigate the ministry. I wanted to travel alongside of Steve as he invited me um, about a year ago, I guess it was, uh, uh, to go and to share in the teaching, in the the preaching, uh, in equipping pastors uh, more thoroughly uh, with the truth of the Word of God for the sake of building up the church of Jesus Christ. Um, And I witnessed firsthand the, the opposition and that which he faces in the ministry. Uh, the opposition uh, for which the pastors who want to declare the truth of God have to face. I, I'm hopeful that this will be a ministry that uh, we as Pacific Hope Church will take on to support uh, financially, um, as well as uh, myself and perhaps others in, in the months or even years to come um, who have the ability to, to teach, to go and, 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 and assist these men in declaring gospel truth. Um, One of the things that has invaded the continent of Africa is the
1: prosperity gospel which was birthed here um, in America. It's rampant. Uh, It's uh, If you didn't know any better, it's a bit frightening. The things that these people are given to,
0: the things that these uh, pastors are lending themselves to, Um, when you have men who stand for the truth and they want to declare the truth, they're opposed by other so-called pastors. So they're having to come up with denominations of their own which want to declare the truth. And in Tanzania, for instance, uh, one denominational leader approached one of the men that we were associated with and uh, said, we can't support you. So Joseph, the pastor that I was with, said, what's wrong with what we're doing? He says, well, all you want to do is teach the Bible. That's the problem. He says, we want you to teach the catechism, if you're going to be part of our denomination. If you want to receive support, you're going to have to teach our catechism. Say, your your catechism is is filled with error. We want to declare the truth of God, and we will declare the truth of God. So they stand um, with much opposition um, in their face. So uh, the ministry that Dr. Steve Van Horn um, resides over there is a very effective ministry. It's a very unique ministry. Um, as I spoke with some of the pastors, I asked numerous questions in between teaching sessions and the opportunity to have preached on the Sundays that I was gone. And I said, what is it that you witness from American Christians or even European Christians that come down here to Africa? He says, well, first of all, they're mostly Americans. And here's, here's what we observe." They come in and they do one of two things. They'll come down here and gather gather a large group and put on an almost crusade type of event.
1: And they try to stir us up with excitement. And then they leave. And then they come back again.
0: There's another group who comes down and they they build orphanages or they dig a water well. He goes, those things are good in themselves. However, what they do, this is coming from him. A pastor. He says they become focused on their project. They come and they take photos of our plight. And they take a lot of video footage of our poverty. And they go back to their churches and they raise money. But then we never see much more than that. And one
1: thing that no one does is come down to teach. They don't come down to make disciples by way of the word of God. Well, that's exactly what
0: Dr. Van Horn's ministry is focused on. He's been down there going on 40 times. He goes three times a year. And the goal is that by 2018, there'll be numerous pastors in the continent of Africa, in these uh, uh, different countries that he ministers in, that they'll be equipped to carry on this ministry. That's the goal. Now, I can give you more insight later. Um, I don't have time to do that this morning, but that is it in a nutshell. Um, Experienced much in the three weeks. It was a glorious time. It was a blessed time. So I want to thank you, Pacific Hope Church, for funding my opportunity to go with Dr. Van Horn. And uh, those of you that prayed um, regularly and consistently cannot thank you enough. We certainly saw the fruit of that, and uh, it was a very blessed time. While I was down there, I could not get out of my mind... The last three verses of Matthew chapter 28,
1: which you are all very familiar with, and I want this to be our study this morning, in the Word of God,
0: Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, which reads, and Jesus came and said to them, that is, his
1: disciples,
0: May the Lord grace us this morning as he imparts this very familiar truth to our minds and hearts. Now, this morning, beloved, I want us to think about the fact that it's good, very good, for every church to periodically pause, reflect, and ask
1: this question. Are we obeying the Great Commission? Do we understand our marching order? And then secondly, as we come to this passage,
0: I'm going to ask that we leave behind any preconceptions about what the Great Commission says, and that's what this text is known as, the Great Commission. And that we might determine to simply listen to the words of Jesus, to what he says here, what what he commands here, so that we may not mistakenly think we know what he means by what he says, and miss... What in fact he does mean by what he says. And I want to propose to you this morning that the Great Commission that we're going to study is primarily not about missions,
1: but is in fact primarily about making disciples. Making disciples. It is first and foremost about discipleship.
0: Something for which we all play part in. We all have this responsibility. This text tells us about the priority of discipleship, which is the mission of the church. It is discipleship. And it also tells us how to practice that discipleship. That is how we're supposed to do it. So there's much for us to embrace here. And what we see here is our glorious Savior who has given a duty to those that are his. It's a command. This is a mighty task that is before us. This is a great task that was before those original disciples. This was beyond their comprehension. This is a great responsibility. This is what's known as, as I said, the great
1: commission. The great commission that was given to the first disciples of our Lord. And their responsibility, beloved, is our responsibility. These are the marching orders of our Lord. And this really is the purpose statement of the church at large. Christianity is a disciple-making responsibility. We're not called to make converts.
0: Only the Lord can do that. We're called to make disciples. We are sinners. We've been called out of the world, sovereignly chosen by God, out of the world, only to go back into the world and make disciples by way of teaching that which He's commanded us. This is our responsibility. So it's essential, therefore, beloved, that Pacific Hope Church remembers that we keep this the main thing. And what is the main thing? To keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing for the Church of Jesus Christ, which is the main thing for Pacific Hope Church, is to keep this main thing the main thing, and the main thing is to make disciples.
1: Amen? There's a lack of disciple making where I was. A great lack.
0: And we're not going to be able to do it there if we can't do it here. We can't do it there if we don't do it in our own homes, moms and dads, amen? We can't do it there if we, students, don't do it
1: uh, with our classmates, with our friends, with our neighbors, and so on. So let's look at the text. Here's Jesus, appearing to his disciples for the last time on earth. His parting shot. Words of departure. He's ready to ascend back to the Father. So he meets them once
0: again in Galilee on a mountain. They, that's what they were instructed to do. And as you know, there are numerous mountain scenes throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5-7. through seven. He gave what is known as the all of that discourse in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. We know of the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was transfigured from uh, human flesh into glory before their very eyes. We know of the Mount of Calvary from which our Savior was crucified. And here again, in Galilee, he meets His disciples on a mountain to instruct them. And just as a side note, in case you don't know, every single resurrection appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ was only to
1: believers. Never did he appear before unbelievers. He appears here before the 11 disciples. Judas isn't
0: there, he's dead. He was not a believer, never was. 1 Corinthians tells us that there's 500 eyewitnesses of our Lord before his ascension. And he commissions them to take his message to the end of the earth. And that baton, beloved, is generation to generation. And that baton is in our hands to this very day. You hold it in your hand, I hold it in my hand. This is our responsibility. This, beloved, is our privilege to make disciples. Notice in your handout, there's three great prerequisites for the Great Commission. Notice the greatness of the Great Commission. Number one, in verse 18, we'll notice the greatness of His power. Secondly, in verse 19, we'll see the greatness of His purpose. And then finally, in verse 20, we'll see the greatness of His promise. Before we get into the text, notice uh, verse 16 and 17. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain
1: which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now we
0: ask, why in the world would Matthew record this? They worshipped, but they doubted. And the answer is quite simple, beloved, because this is exactly what happened. This is the truth of the matter. The disciples were there, and some Doubted, which is just another proof as to the historic accuracy
1: of Scripture. Amen? It hides nothing. Now, Matthew records this in order to point out the weakness of the disciples at this point. They continue to struggle. Struggle in what? Their pursuit to believe. Oh, they believe he had risen from
0: the dead. There's no doubt about that. But think about the culmination of all these events that have taken place in their life. They're struggling. They're doubtful. And let this be an encouragement, beloved. Faithful discipleship doesn't begin with knowing
1: where or in what capacity you're called to serve. You don't know? Relax. You know what he's concerned about?
0: That you just show up. I'm not talking about showing up to church. I'm talking about showing up daily by faith to the one who saved you.
1: To the one who called you. To be like these doubtful disciples, willing to do that which he
0: he commands. This is the place of service. Putting all reluctance aside, showing up by faith. If you don't know exactly where you're supposed to serve, beloved, don't fret. Be faithful to the one who's been faithful to us. And it will begin to unfold. It will unfold day by day. When you step out by faith to declare the truth of Jesus Christ, when you step out by faith to that friend who's a Christian, but they're still drinking spiritual milk, it's perhaps your responsibility to take the solid food of the gospel to these people. Step out by faith and it will
1: begin to unfold. Just show up. Just show up. So fret not. These eleven had been through the ringer of fear. The ringer of doubt. And the
0: ringer of unbelief. But here they stand. They showed up where he commanded them to go. And unbeknownst to them at this point, these are the
1: men who would go on to turn the world what? Upside down with the gospel. They would shake kings off their thrones. And they were given power, which is known as the signs of an apostle, to validate their call to that ministry.
0: We had to teach the African people, that leaders in the church, that the signs of an apostle do not apply to them this day. That's not received very well because they're very superstitious and they love the supernatural. But as we walk them through Scripture, guess what they began to embrace? That the signs of an apostle were just that. Signs of an apostle. (laughs) So taking their hanky, touching it and praying it, and putting it on someone, the reason
1: it doesn't heal is because it's the sign of an apostle. And they're with the Lord now. Nevertheless, reminding them that God heals who He wants, when He wants,
0: and how He wants, but there is no one who has the signs of an
1: apostle. These men did. And they went on to turn the world upside down with what? The gospel.
0: The glorious gospel. So here we see that they worshipped him, which, by the way, beloved, is the proper response of true discipleship. It's worship of the Most High. Worship of our Savior. And worship is much more than us gathering here, Amen. Worship is day by day, moment by moment. We worship by faith. And we can only do that because of His grace. You don't do it to earn salvation. It is the product thereof. Of being a redeemed sinner. Notice now the greatness of His power. The greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ power who commands this commission. Verse 18. And Jesus came... This means he came near to them, so it is likely that they doubted as they approached. Though they doubted, they worshipped and then he draws near. Notice, he came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? To me. This is a categorical declaration. This is not, beloved, an exaggerated statement. This is not hyperbole. This is the resurrected Lamb of God who claims to possess absolute pervasive sovereignty over all peoples, all places, and all things.
1: All authority. The word authority means the freedom and the right to speak and act
0: as one pleases. And then you place the word all in front of that. And that's quite an amazing statement, isn't it? All authority, he says. Authority over all things. Jesus, beloved, he has authority over politics and government. He has power and authority over military forces and all powers. We need not fear when we watch the news. He is the sovereign. He has authority over weather patterns. Tsunamis, tornadoes, volcanoes, hurricanes. He has authority over all things. Nothing is a surprise to him. He's the sovereign. He has authority over all planets, moons and stars and science and education. He's sovereign and has authority over universities and, and colleges. He's the authority. He has authority over industry and business, science and education. He is Lord. He has authority over the media, TV, news, you name it. He is in authority. He rules and reigns. He has power and authority over demons, over Satan. That's another thing that our dear brothers in Africa struggle over. They believe, many of them, in dualism. In that here's God and here's Satan and there are these opposing forces what they don't understand many of be taught and reminded that Satan and demons are subject to the authority
1: and the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a pawn in the hand of the Master utilized for His glory and the good of God's people. The Lord Jesus has authority over His church. If she's
0: persecuted, he's in authority. And if we notice, by way of reading the Scriptures, every time we see the church under persecution, what happens? It spreads like wildfire. The church grows under persecution. Number one, you know who the true believers are. And it spreads and it spreads and it spreads. And here we are today, redeemed people, because of the authority of Christ over his church, and all the persecution that's taken place in the centuries before us. Therefore, beloved, if he has all authority, he has all authority over our lives, does he not? He has authority over your life. He has authority
1: over my life. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Notice. This authority, he said, has been given to me. Okay, we say, wait a minute. Jesus,
0: the second person of the Godhead, I thought he had all authority. I thought he was the creator. Does he not already have authority? The second person of the Trinity? I mean, he is speaking here of a delegated authority. Implying that at a particular time, he did not have this particular authority. So if he's sovereign God, if he is everlasting, If he, as Colossians says, is the creator of all things, if he, as Revelation says, was crucified before the foundation of the earth, what does this mean? Well, first of all, in an eternal sense, as the second person of the triune Godhead, yes, he did always possess all authority. Yes, absolutely, without doubt. However, as the incarnate Son of God, the Lord God Almighty, who divested Himself of the glories of His divine position, having come out of heaven, lowered Himself to become a man. He surrendered, surrendered, beloved, the independent use of His deity. Now, make clear. Let me make clear. He never surrendered His deity. He surrendered the independent use of His deity by submitting Himself to the Father as
1: led by who? The Spirit. Taking upon Himself full humanity along with all of its
0: limitations. So his reward is the incarnate Son of God. The one who came to die. The one who laid his life down in order to take away the sin of the world. The one who became a substitutionary atonement on that cross. His reward was to be resurrected as a man. His reward was that he was ascending back to the Father as a man. That he rules on the throne in heaven now as a man in all authority as the God-man has been given to him by the Father. All authority to the God-man, Jesus Christ. So you ask, is
1: he man right now? Yes, he is glorified man forever and always will be the glorified God-man. So this authority was given to him by the Father, and his
0: authority has no limitations. Whatsoever. Paul writes about this in Ephesians 1 verse 20. He, God the Father, raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So any authority on this earth, beloved, be it a king, a ruler, a commander, a president, all of that authority is a delegated authority from the one who has all authority, Jesus
1: Christ. It's all under his sovereign control. If there's a dictator in place, he is only there because of the authority of
0: Jesus Christ. Pontius Pilate, you remember he said to Jesus, do you not know I have the power to crucify you? What did Jesus say? You have no power except that which my Father from heaven has granted you. You are in this position because of the sovereignty of Almighty God. Philippians 2 reads, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the Ascended Lamb of God. This is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You see, beloved, this Ascended, glorious Savior is who Daniel spoke about hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth. Remember Daniel's account, chapter 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. Ancient of Days is a title for God the Father and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the king. This is the one who's in power. This is the one who has all authority. So the great commission here is prefaced with
1: this eternal declaration. All authority must. All power, mine. And why does he make this claim? Two reasons. Number one, because he possesses all power and authority,
0: he sends out his emissaries, his representatives, he sends out his ambassadors, which is you and me, with the same authority.
1: Not authority over all things, but a, a delegated authority. To what? To declare that he has all authority. That's our responsibility. That's our privilege. We don't share ideas about Christ. We what? We declare Christ. That all authority is His. Secondly, the reason that Jesus makes this claim, think about
0: yourself as one of these 11 disciples. The fear that you have. He's leaving. This is very intimidating. They're called to go preach the gospel. They're going to face opposition from Jerusalem, from the religious leaders of Jerusalem, and then they have to carry this message out to a bunch of pagan Gentiles. And he promises them guaranteed success within the framework of his sovereignty. So you can be assured, beloved, oh, when you say, but they don't the words, trust. God's will will be done and his word will not return what? Void. Because not only when his
1: word goes out does it convert and soften, it also hardens. That's what it does. The end result will be met. We go by faith. You see, it's his
0: authority that opens doors that no one can close. It's the authority of Jesus Christ who sends the Spirit of God which transforms souls. It's the authority of Jesus Christ that calls people out from the world by way of the effectual grace of God which takes a hardened heart and like wax melts it unto repentance. It's the authority of Jesus Christ when the Gospel is heralded that the Spirit of God by way of the Word of God enables a heart to believe like Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to believe.
1: He's the authoritative one. He has absolute control over all things. So, here
0: then is the author, beloved, of the Great Commission. And we are his representatives. We are his stewards. So, I ask this question this morning.
1: And I say this as a reminder to myself as I provide. A reminder for you. Do you freely and willingly acknowledge Christ's authority over your life? Well, yes, you
0: say, I know he has all authority, and his will will be done. My question is this Do you willfully
1: acknowledge his authority over your life as a redeemed sinner, saved by grace? Like Isaiah, who says, here I am, Lord. Send me. To awake, awaken each
0: morning and say, Whatever your will, may your will be done. Yes, Lord, I have an agenda in mind. I have things I have to accomplish. But I am here to serve you to proclaim
1: your name. Lord, may your will be done. Through my life. May we be such people, amen.
0: That is the greatness of His power. Notice, secondly, the greatness of His purpose. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Notice, there's a transitional word here, and it
1: is the word therefore. Wherefore the therefore? Why is the therefore there? Two reasons.
0: First of all, we do this in light of the fact that He is worthy of worship. When the disciples showed up, what did they do? They worshipped. He's the King of glory. He's the sovereign Savior. He deserves worship. He's worthy of all worship. All ascribed glory that goes to the Lamb. This is what the disciples just did. They worshipped, though they were doubtful. You know, you don't go to the ends of the earth to declare... To people, that they bow the knee to someone that is not God Himself. Amen? All authority is His. He's the King. He's the Lord. He's the Creator. We declare that He deserves all worship. And that people must bow and receive Him as who He is. So He's worthy of worship, therefore we go. He also says, as we just read, all authority is given to me in
1: heaven, above and earth below. If I've been given all authority, my word is truth, he says. My word is light. So
0: the realities of that truth is that you go. So in other words, beloved, we as believers are always on the go for Christ. Every day, we are on the go for Christ. Now, the main verb in this verse, the central command is not go. Okay, very important. The main verb is not go. The main verb is make disciples. There's one imperative in this, pas- in this passage. Three uh, participles. The one imperative is make disciples. Three participles, going, baptizing, teaching.
1: So as you're going, that's what you do as a believer, you make disciples. We go. Because he's gone before us. We go because he's sent us.
0: And he continues to send. So the going, the baptizing, and the teaching is how we make disciples. And the imperative is what Jesus wants his church to do until he comes back. And that is make disciples. So wherever you are, beloved, make disciples. Wherever we go, we make disciples. Wherever the Lord may send you, we make disciples. This could be at your job. You don't have to go to China or something to make disciples. Amen? Right there at your job. Right there in your classroom. Fathers, mothers, right in your family. You're making disciples. Mothers are are training your children up at your knee, praying with them, reading to them. Fathers, you're leading your, your wives and your children in the truth and the glories of Jesus Christ. This is making disciples. We make disciples of one another. We remind ourselves of this glorious truth. So,
1: wherever the Lord may send you within His will, we are in the process of making disciples. So here's the
0: central command. It's to bring people that He saves the very Word of God. It's not make decisions for Jesus. Okay, do we get to make that clear? It doesn't say make, get decisions that are made for Jesus. It doesn't say that. It says make disciples. And who do we make disciples of? Those that he's converted. Those that he's regenerated. Those that he's transformed. We declare the truth and we relieve the
1: results to the Spirit. Amen? You're never going to convert anybody, beloved. So don't fret when they fight against it. Because that's the typical response until the truth
0: grinds them to brokenness and gives them spiritual life. And then you take them and you teach them what He's commanded. That's our responsibility. So all believers come to faith and are made disciples because of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. So the goal of the Great Commission is to simply Make disciples, not to make them professors of the faith, or confessors of the faith, but disciples of the faith. And what is a disciple? It's a true believer. Disciple is synonymous with believer, beloved. I know some teach that you have believers and then you have disciples. You have those, you know, they're saved, but then you have people that are really serious and they're disciples. No, in the Bible, disciple and believer is synonymous terms. A believer is a disciple, and disciple is a believer. And we want, to, we want to remind ourselves of the truth of the Lord and train people up in the Lord. Because
1: the term, technically means student. It means learner. We enter into the school of Christ to
0: be taught by Christ. This is a life that's been reoriented. This is a life that's been transformed. This is a mind that's been renewed and continues to be renewed. The disciple of Christ has taken up his cross. The disciple of Christ follows Christ. We are recipients of divine grace. We're beneficiaries of regeneration, which means life has been birthed in us. We're heirs of Christ. This is the reason Jesus said, you remember in John 8, there are many people that were believing, many Jews that were believing,
1: "Mm, mm," Messiah. He teaches with authority. He teaches like no one else has taught before. He
0: does these signs and miracles and wonders. Yes, he's the Christ. You know what Jesus said? This is what he said to that group. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. If you abide, if you continue on in the truth of the scripture, then you're truly my disciples. You know, the African people told me that one of our problems in evangelism, evangelism and, and missions that enter into the countries of, of Africa is that they stop short of the goal that Christ has given, and
1: that is just that, to make disciples. And this wrenched my heart, because you can see the hunger. You go to these churches and you
0: preach the truth, and some people are receiving it, just their eyes are wide open, they are not bored. They are not bored. But then you have another group of
1: people that you can tell they love the prosperity gospel. They want to be charged up. And they look bored. But boy, can they sing. African people can sing.
0: They all have great voices. And they clap and and they sing and harmonize. And I had to do that. So I was moving about, they have choirs that dance and sing, and their churches that I preached in aren't like this, trust me, they were happy to have a roof,
1: and the benches were logs split in half, flat side up, stuck into the ground,
0: vertical posts like this, made from trees cut down, not shaved, you still look like
1: a tree and split logs all the way down and they come in and they're stoked to have a roof and they want the truth most of them want the truth See, they love to hear the truth but we're called to make disciples next he says baptize them in the name of the
0: Father, Son and Holy Spirit notice the order as we're going we make disciples baptizing who? them you baptize those that you're making disciples you baptize disciples baptism is a public declaration of one's allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ now we know that someone can be saved and not baptized amen like the thief on the cross we know that someone can be baptized and not saved like Simon the magician what is it in Acts 8
1: But Jesus gives the great commission here, not separate from the Christian act of baptism. It's
0: tightly connected here. You make disciples and you baptize them. So what is assumed here is that the experience of having been regenerated by the Holy Spirit that empowers conversion is followed by that public declaration of being baptized to identify to the death of self by identifying in the death of Christ. It's a testimony of a transformed sinner. And that's precisely what baptism declares, beloved. Now, in the first century, uh, the term baptism um, was known as the sacramentum. And that's a Latin term from where we get sacrament. You've all heard that. Now, the sacrament is something that the Roman Catholic Church came along with uh, a couple hundred years later, and they infused all kinds of meaning into the term sacrament, which is not found in the New Testament. Now, originally, the sacramentum, or the sacrament, was a Roman soldier's oath to his commander. And it went like this. In the ceremony, the soldier would stand up and, quote, publicly and solemnly vowed that he renounced his civilian status with all its privileges and liberty of action, and from henceforth confessed he now belonged to Caesar, whose every command he promised to obey cost what it might and lead where it would. End quote. So you see, the first century believers adopted this ideal towards baptism and their surrender to the obedience of their king and master, Jesus Christ. The sacramentum.
1: That's precisely what first century Christians knew baptism to be. It was the honor and privilege of publicly declaring allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ.
0: This explains why in many parts of the pagan world, Particularly in Muslim lands, there's a lot of Muslims in Africa, by the way, they're overtaking the place. Particularly in Muslim lands, persecution of professing Christians
1: does not commence until one has been baptized. That public profession, that sacramentum, it marks them out. Now, for a believer to refuse baptism is to refuse
0: the first principle in Christian discipleship. And beloved, as a saved person, you're a Christian here today and you've never been baptized, you need to be baptized. Okay? If you're a Christian here and you've never been baptized, you need to call the church and tell my assistant, and we'll put you on the list, and then we'll interview you and make sure you're a Christian as far as we can tell, and we would love to baptize you because you need to be baptized. It's the first step of Christian obedience. All through the book of Acts, the moment one was converted, they were baptized, declaring this truth of having been transformed, allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. We baptize in the name of the Father because He's the one who loved the world so much so that He sent His only begotten Son. We're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ the Son because of His sinless substitution, substitutionary death on our behalf. And we're baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. For no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. There's no other name given uh, unto men but by the name of Jesus Christ that everyone shall be saved. And only can therefore be saved. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So baptism publicly marks out the individual as a recipient of divine grace. So we're Christians. We're all going. And as we go, we make disciples, and it's the disciples that we're making that are to be baptized
1: in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Notice, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is not teaching theoretical information, beloved.
0: Not teaching in order for one to simply become puffed up. Not teaching for the sake of someone to, to have all this knowledge in their head and then boast about what they know. It's not that kind of teaching. It's much more elaborate than the teaching facts and figures. Than teaching doctrine and
1: theology. But rather, is to be taught that the disciple will obey. To obey, Jesus said, all that I have commanded you. And why? This is a response. This is a response to all that He's done on our
0: behalf. What does Ephesians 1 say? He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Amen? According to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. It's all for His glory. We're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We don't get saved by good works. We're created in Christ Jesus for the sake
1: of good works. Therefore, we teach all that he commanded. So the mission field, what does it involve? All nations. Very simple. All people. It begins with you. It begins
0: with your neighbor. It begins with your families. It begins with those you work with. And and it ends
1: with those in the furthest regions of the earth. The curriculum. It's the word of God. Very simple. The teaching participants, it's you and it's me. We all share in this together. We're somehow, some way
0: involved in the Great Commission to make disciples. Notice finally the greatness of his promise, verse 20. And behold, I am with you always
1: to the end of the age. Think about the 11 men standing there. Believing, worshiping, yet doubting.
0: They know what he's informed them of in the past. In the upper room, I'll be leaving you, but I will not leave you as orphans. I'll send the Holy Spirit. You're going to declare truth of me. He says, I will be with you to the end. The command is great. The command is intimidating, but he says, I promise I will be with you. In the face of hostile Jewish unbelief, I will be with you. As you go to hostile Gentile nations, I will be be with you. If you have to step into a pulpit to declare my truth before kings, I will be with you. If you get thrown in jail for my name's sake, I will be with you. If you struggle and you doubt and you're discouraged, I will be with
1: you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. As you speak to your neighbor, beloved, he's with you. As you continue to share the truth of the gospel with your friends who are hostile towards the gospel, He's with you. When you pray for your neighbors and talk to your neighbors, He's with you. When you go into a convalescent
0: home like many of you do and you have to stand and declare declare the truth, He's with you.
1: He's with you just as He was with the eleven. He's with us now, amen? See, we're in His presence, beloved.
0: We're in His presence. And we together make up the temple of the living God. The church is the temple. And if we leave here this afternoon and go in our different directions, each one of us individually, He is with us individually because we are the temple of God. He is with you, beloved. He will strengthen you. He will give you courage. He will lift you up out of your doubt as you, by grace and faith,
1: just declare what He calls us to declare. It's his truth. The temple of God is not a building, it's a people. There's no place that you can possibly go as the people of God that he will
0: not be with you. You'll never be alone in your mission, whatever your mission is, whether it's here in San Diego, family, workplace, or to the other ends of the earth, he's with you, he will never leave you. Now what does this mean for us as I close? The Great Commission and making disciples, for some of you, it may not even be now, but for some of you, it means that one day you will go to a foreign land and you will have to learn another language and you will have to change your diet and you will have to change your style of clothing. You'll have to leave your comfort zone because you know it's Him. And it may be for a long period of time, like my aunt and uncle served in the Philippines for 20 years living
1: in a hut on stilts. After World War II, he went to seminary and he went right into the mission field. And he was there till 1972. He's 90 years old now. Still
0: alive. He came back and he served in his local church. He made disciples in the jungles of the Philippines and he made disciples in the local Presbyterian church and he makes disciples now wherever he is and he lives in Las Vegas in a home because his son is a pilot who's stationed in Vegas and he is basically
1: letting them live in his home, still serving God, making disciples. How well do we do making disciples where we
0: are right now? You don't have to go to a foreign land. We don't have to go to Africa, amen? For some of you, it'll mean short missions trips, short-term mission trips.
1: But for most of us, it's right here. And we're called to bloom where he has us. And that is to make disciples where we stand. First, we have to desire to be a disciple, amen? We must desire to be a disciple. And
0: as we learn and grow as disciples, you'll realize that my discipleship process is not solely for me. Growing as a disciple benefits my coworkers. Growing as a disciple benefits my children. Growing as a disciple benefits my wife, benefits my husband. Whomever, wherever, my discipleship benefits others. Your discipleship benefits others. We don't keep this to ourselves. And please, beloved, don't take classes of theology
1: and doctrine to enter in just to argue. That's irritating. Really irritating.
0: When I was with Dr. Van Horn, we have some theological differences of perspective. Um, Our hermeneutic is a bit different. Okay? But I taught his curriculum and i made it my own and taught the scriptures and we had a joyous time when we were at dinner we challenged one another on some theological perspectives and dr van horn said to me i love this i love this sharpening this iron sharpening iron this is beneficial this is rich he goes i don't have this i love this and i miss this that's good don't be an irritant who comes into a classroom who wants to start a fight. Just start
1: a fight. May we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of the disciples of the Most High. And you will be a disciple maker. This is the call. This is the Great Commission. May we be faithful. Amen. All power and authority is mine in heaven and on earth as you're going make disciples. It's simple. We complicate it. Amen? It's very, very simple. But we need God's strength to do it. We need His power to do
0: it. We need the wisdom of the Most High to do it. So may God enable us, beloved, here at Pacific Hope Church to realize the radical implications of the Great Commission and may the radical implications of the Great Commission transform us individually so it transforms this church and may, by the grace of God, may it transform
1: the evangelical church at large to make disciples. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you in awe and wonder. Many times we're just as doubtful as the 11 first disciples that you taught and led and commissioned to go with this same truth. Help us, Lord, in our unbelief. Help us in our weakness. Help us in our fear, which we all face from time to time to step out from behind our weaknesses and to walk by faith according to the promise, the promise of You, the One who has all authority in heaven and earth below, to make disciples wherever we may go, to bloom where we are, to be faithful where we are, as commanded by You, the Most High.
0: And Lord, may we always remember that we do this in response to what has already
1: been accomplished for us. It's not to earn favor and salvation. But it is simply a response to the command. Given by our sovereign Savior. The King
0: of kings and the Lord of lords. I pray for your specific blessing upon everyone here. As disciple makers and as disciples. That we would be effective. And then I
1: pray that you'll bless everyone here to see fruit of that, which would bring forth encouragement to them, new anticipated hope, anticipation of a new day, to share more truth of our sovereign King. And though we know that no man knows the hour of your return,
0: there's no date to be set, but your return is imminent at any moment of any given
1: day, may we be about your business for your glory, for the building up of Your church worldwide,
0: financially supporting missions, supporting one another, and discipleship making. Lord, we praise You, we thank You, and we need grace. We need Your power,
1: we need strength that comes from You. Bless Your people this day for the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.